Hey friends, so glad you could join us today. Picture with me three different scenes in Israel's history and try to put yourself in their shoes, imagining the fear that they faced. The first one is God has just miraculously set them free because of the 10 plagues from the Egyptians and they are headed out into the great unknown. But all they've ever known is slavery, the whips of the Egyptians. And as they look over their shoulders, they are terrified of what might be pursuing them. Number two, now they're in their land under the leadership of Saul, and they've seen some of the great blessings of God. But as they're out on the battlefield today, they see a giant like none other who's roaring at them, and the bravest among them is melting in fear. Fast forward generations later, now they're being dragged off to Babylon. Many of their friends and family have been killed the cities in rubble behind them and burning. And they're being led straight into the capital of their enemy. If you're American, you most likely cannot relate to most of these situations, at least geopolitically. We're blessed to be in a stable place. But I want to invite you right now to stop and think for a minute about the things that can still really scare you. What concerns you? Is there anything that can keep you up at night or distract you from the place of peace? What could take you out or take your loved ones out? What are you concerned about? What are you afraid of? Maybe finances, work problems, relational issues, health issues. Maybe it is the world around us, but more culturally what's taking place. As you consider your place of fear, I want to also invite you to meditate with us on one of the great names of God from the Advent story. Today on the podcast... We're looking at a name of God that speaks to us about our fears. His name is El Gabor. In English, that means mighty God. I'm Justin here along with Tim. The Quiet Reformation is a small part of the ministry of Netzer. We help to equip and encourage the people of God to know that they are not alone and that God's household has plenty of wisdom to go around. For the next couple episodes, we're taking time to look at the arrival of Jesus on the scene of humanity and how his names speak to us when we feel lonely, lost, anxious, unappreciated, and angry. We are a 501c3 supporter-funded ministry. Please visit netzer.org connect to donate today. Hey, everybody. Welcome again to The Quiet Reformation. I'm Justin here along with Tim. Hey, guys. Tim, when I was thinking about the idea of fear of being scared, the first story that came to mind involved you. Uh-oh. Did I scare you? You have done that a couple times. You've hurt me. You've done, you've done many things. I'm sorry. But no, the thing that came to my mind was that time way back when, when we were younger, we were taking a bunch of youth group kids from the church. I was new Christian helping out with the youth group. You were an intern at the church. Uh, yes. And we were going to Baltimore to acquire the fire, I think it was. And we had this van. It was the youth van. It's the only thing we used it for. And man, it had some issues. We took that all the way down from, you know, South Central Pennsylvania, from Lepnin to Baltimore. 
And as soon as we get into the middle of Baltimore, I don't even understand the physics of it. But what ended up happening is that somehow the throttle was basically always on. It never really quite stopped moving. And I remember being in bumper to bumper traffic. I mean, both feet on the brake and the e-brake on just trying to get to a spot enough to drop off the kids to then figure out how to get this van out of the city because it was going to be horrible. Do you remember that? How could I forget it? We were actually in one of the busiest intersections in all of Baltimore when that happened. I don't even know how we found a garage to take it to. I had, I remember I called AAA uh, and, and there was only one garage open anywhere close. And they said, and the guy's really busy and it's going to be a while till he gets to you, but that's the only one we can offer. And so eventually that guy showed up and we had to figure out what to do because we had all these students, right? You and the students went to the hotel. Um, I went, all the bags, most of the bags stayed in the van. I spent the night in uh, a very, very shady, shady, shady. It was, yeah, it was, it was a difficult neighborhood. It was a, it was a dangerous neighborhood. I'll put it that way. It was a very dangerous neighborhood. And uh, throughout the night, there was people banging on the glass of the, of the van and everything. And it was, it was a freezing, freezing cold night. And I was uh, pretending to sleep in the van by the grace of God. We, we weathered the storm. You, you're just like, you know, praying through the night. Yeah. It's amazing how fear works. I mean, We've had so many, we've all had so many situations. I know you've had your health situations that have really uh, probably been uh, worrisome for you and for your family. You remember when Jen uh, gave birth to one of our boys and she was paralyzed in her leg uh, and there was that situation. We've all had so many uh, situations that in the moment can really, we just don't know what to do. We don't know what to think. We don't know what to feel. And man, fear can really get a hold of us in those moments. Fear and anxiety are usually kind of coupled together, but again, there's a little bit of different cultural expectations. How should we be thinking about fear and anxiety according to the biblical story and where we're at now in modern culture? Fear in general, it's it seems to be a protective mechanism. It's an emotion that we have that alerts us to danger. Think about a deer that just like freezes when it hears something, you know, that's that emotion of fear. And it's a specific and focused emotion. Um, it can still cripple us. It can still hurt us. It can still be a really bad thing. But there's also some value there. It's the response that people are trying to generate in a horror film. You know, that sense of like something just in chemically happens in my body. Anxiety, on the other hand, is more of a feeling of like worry and nervousness and unease. It's typically about something that could happen or might happen, or there's an uncertain outcome in the future, it tends to be a lot less focused than fear. And it really causes dysfunction. We don't see a whole lot that anxiety actually helps us with. You know, our translations of the Bible, they don't distinguish very easily between the two. I think it's also important to note as we're diving into this, that anxiety in the world of psychiatry and psychology, it's also a diagnosable disorder of mental condition that, you know, characterizes people with like excessive apprehensiveness about perceived threats and it really leads to avoidance behaviors and uh, there's often physical symptoms involved in that you know with heart rate going crazy and muscle tension and we're not psychiatrists or psychologists or therapists or counselors or even clinicians at all nope so as we talk about this today it's not that what we're addressing doesn't have anything to say 
about someone with that, you know, that condition or disorder. But if uh, you're dealing with that level of anxiety, it'd be good to seek help from professionals with that as well. So as we start to look at Luke chapter one, there's a couple miraculous births here, whether it's with John the Baptist, meaning uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah are going to have a baby and they're of old age. But then obviously the most miraculous one is the virgin birth, where the prophecy, the angel showing up with Mary to say, hey, you're going to be with child. Why is the virgin birth so important for us to continue to cling on to? It's always been a key core doctrinal statement and truth and reality, why is it still important that we hold that as God's reality? Jesus was born sinless. Him not having a human paternal father, it was a way of kind of him not receiving the curse of sin. Secondly, and most importantly, is that there's a lot here to say about the Trinity. And so since he was born of God, it means that this is how Jesus is fully God. So the divinity of Jesus and what this does is it allows for the pre-existent son of God, that Jesus with that name, Jesus is an, a human who is on earth, but Jesus was the pre-existent son of God. And then also just that uh, this was a fulfillment of prophecy, Isaiah 7, 14. Uh, so it's a, a great fulfillment of prophecy. And we see that as uh, being named in the New Testament. And it's this beautiful picture of the, like the spirit hovered over the waters at the beginning of creation and Jesus spoken into, into creation. Now there's the Spirit of God hovering over Mary's womb, and there's a new creation. With a pre-existent Son of God coming in the flesh, like he's taking on the form of a child of a baby. And when you think about mighty God, when you think about might, you do not think about a child or a baby. So how about a little bit more about just the, the name mighty God, the El Gabor, what's going on with that in Scripture? Yeah, you know, interestingly, this name, El Gabor, is not the same name as El Shaddai. El Shaddai is a, a more common name for God Almighty. God Almighty has a lot more to do with uh, self-sustaining, all-sufficient God. So he's kind of able to sustain himself and provide for all, that sort of thing, God Almighty. But El Gabor, Gabor is very much a battle term. This is like a military battle term. There's only three other Old Testament references to El Gabor, but the word Gabor itself just means like the champion, the warrior. There's a, in Psalm 24, eight, we read, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. That mighty is Gabor. Now that's not El Gabor because it's not, it doesn't say God in there. It says Lord, which is different. But this idea of Gabor is like the champion, the warrior. The, the the one who wins the battle. And so this is the picture of, yeah, we have this little baby who ironically is prophesied that he's going to be the mighty God, the great warrior. If we take a look at Luke 1, there's this juxtaposition of fear all over the text. So we have in, you know, the birth of John the Baptist, we have an angel showing up uh, in the temple right next to Zechariah, and Zechariah was troubled he was fearful when he saw him and it fell on his face, but then the angel says to him right away, do not be afraid, Zechariah. 
Similarly, that we have the idea of an angel showing up to Mary. Mary's distressed. The angel's like, do not be afraid. Mary's song, it talks about how God's mercy is for those who fear him. So there's a fear that's a good fear there, but there's also an, an afraidness maybe. And then again with John the Baptist, fear came on all of the neighbors when they heard Zechariah talking again after he couldn't talk for so long because it kind of was in doubt. And there was fear that came over the neighbors. But then Zechariah's prophecy, part of his prophecy about John the Baptist and Jesus was like God was going to deliver his people out of the hands of their enemies that they, that we might serve God without fear. And so back and forth, there's this fear is good, being afraid is bad, this tension there. What's some of the intricacies about that in our lives? We named fear as a necessary emotion, at least in the fallen and broken world that we have, where there is harm, where there is danger. But in, in general, the Bible refers uh, much more negatively than positively to the idea of fear. So think of the scriptures, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. Like that idea of worry or anxiety. Um, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. It's juxtaposing love, power, sound mind with fear. Um, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Then the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And one more, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Yeah, you know, there's just so many passages where the Lord is instructing his people not to be afraid because fear can be such a crippling thing. But there is that sense of, uh, of necessary fear. And we're called to master fear by directing it rather than being controlled by fear. In other words, we need to channel our fear and focus it in light of our faith. And let me give you just one example of this. In Exodus 20, 20, the people of Israel are at Mount Sinai. And at our opening, I didn't list this as one of the places where I wanted us to consider the Israelites' fear. People of Israel are in front of Mount Sinai and Moses is going up to the mountain. He's going to be re receiving the instructions from God and God's going to be forming a covenant with them. And they are so scared, just scared. There's thunder and lightning and like they know God is present. And none of us have any ability to know what it's like to be in that situation until God manifests, right? And in that situation, God told Moses to say something to the people. And here's what Moses says to them then. In Exodus 20, 20, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Okay, so first there's that command not to have fear. But then listen to this. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So in general, don't be afraid right now. This is a good God. He's a great God. He's on your side and he's for you, but you need to fear him. And so that's okay. But the reason that you need to fear him is to keep you from sinning. In other words, you don't want to be on the wrong side of these, this thing, right? And so 
God's helping you because it's very easy in our lives to be deceived, to be afraid of what people think, or to be afraid of not having enough, or to be afraid of any of those kinds of things. And when we're afraid that way, we can lose sight of God. But in this situation, by God's grace, he's helping them to see that there is no power on earth or in heaven or under the earth like the power of God. It's the only thing worth truly being afraid of. So when we read our Bible, it's reading it as if this is reality, that what I'm seeing in my circumstances is not so much the reality compared to the word of God. And so as I fear the Lord, I begin to live my life directing my fear toward the Lord and losing my fear for all the other situations. And it allows me to live according to the reality of who God is instead of living according to a reaction to what my circumstances are. So if we bring that bigger concept down to relationships and let's put in the, in the scope of the parent child relationship, how we want our kids to fear and how we don't want them to fear. But this could also cross over into into leadership or coaching or mentoring. Could you kind of unpack that a little bit? Like where are the places that we actually want fear in our kids' lives and where don't we want them to have fear? And then how does that kind of speak to us being children of God and how God wants that or doesn't want that in our lives? I want my kids to be afraid of texting while they're driving. I want my kids to be afraid of using drugs. I want them to be afraid of drunk driving. I'd prefer for them to be really afraid of being drunk anyway. I want them to be afraid of really breaking people's hearts. I have two young men. I want them to be afraid of handling hearts inappropriately and causing long-term damage in people's lives. I want them to be afraid of not submitting to wisdom. The loss of the role of authority in young people's mind right now is a big concern in our culture. The, there's a real uh, shift happening in our culture of losing that sense of what a position of authority is. And when we don't have fear of authority and the fear of the Lord, it, you know, it starts with the Lord, but then that trickles down to the Lord's commands and including the authority that he's put in place. So if you don't have any sort of fear of disobeying your parents or any fear of disobeying the law, then you don't have the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And so obviously the thing we most want our kids to, to do is to respect and honor God above all else and to fear being on the wrong side of God's reality. And this isn't just about God smiting me and, you know, it's not a, primarily a shame-based thing, but it is the fact that God is immovable. God is unchangeable. The reality of God's principles and God's presence, when we don't live in alignment with that, the consequences of that are devastating. But when we learn that God is for us and with us and that he's right and that he's powerful and he's mighty, then we can learn to yield to and submit to him in a way that allows other things to fall into place. Uh, with all that said, there's a lot of fear I don't want my kids to have. Fear can hold them back. It can limit them. It can keep them from really tackling stuff. Uh, it can be not only inhibiting, but full on crippling in the case of deep anxiety. You know, fear has a way of distorting our view of the world. And it can be very difficult to see clearly, to take appropriate risks, to be objective in certain situations when we're crippled by fear. So, you know, 
I want to see my kids learn that when they're afraid, that they can overcome their fears, that the fear of God allows them to step beyond the fear of their circumstances, beyond the fear of other people, and to boldly step out. And uh, I think of uh, like a tough financial situation in a family where the parents know what's going on and they're trying to figure things out, but the kids don't have a clue what's going on and they're just fine because they trust mom and dad. And this is us if we trust God and God's in control and God's good. What was that thing that you thought of at the beginning of the podcast that concerns you? That thing that can make you tremble? Ezekiel tells us that God, that is the mighty God, will become a foe to our enemies. First John tells us that God's perfect love, it drives out all fear. This is how this works. There's one mighty God, one who is always triumphant. The only thing to truly fear is not being on the side of God the warrior. There is a legitimate reality check when realizing that nothing will ever stop God, that his reality will always win the day. To what degree are we aligning with that reality? This should definitely cause us to take a serious pause. But at the same time, God is so good and he's willing by his grace to be friends with us. And if our lives are given to him by grace and our allegiance is pledged to King Jesus, then we got to understand that anything that would stand in our way, that would keep us from loving others, loving him and doing what he's called us to do, he's willing to go to war for us on behalf of his love for us. So this fear that you face, how would it change if you knew that God himself was in it with you? Faith is trusting his presence and his intention. So remember today, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Stare down your fear today and let it know that the mighty God was born, that he lived a sinless life, that he took the best the devil could bring at him on the cross and that he rose from the grave and that he's present with you and let your fear shake in the presence of the mighty God. What God is so great What God has displayed His mighty arm to the children of the chosen promise What God is so great What God has displayed His mighty arm to the children of the chosen promise.